I'm Christian Perez, and this is Modernity and Absurdity. Tanzim Shanila, or Tan, is a Ph.D. social psychology student in the CUNY system. Tan first made it onto my radar way back in 2012 when she wrote the piece, The Illuminati and Why It Spoke to Me. I came across the article on the old Kasama website. It's a good piece, and I think Tan's story is one that's shared by many different people across the country. Tan gives us insight into her own intellectual and political growth. She goes into detail about the effect of Illuminati theory on herself and those around her. She explains why it's ultimately insufficient in describing the ills of the world and how this dead end led her to a greater understanding and critique of capitalism. I'll provide links to a number of different resources in the show notes. The first is, of course, the Illuminati and why it spoke to me. The second is an informative video featuring Tanzim and some of her comrades going into Illuminati theory in greater detail. The third is a pamphlet called How to Overthrow the Illuminati, written by those very same comrades. It's detailed, insightful, and easy to read. This is the first telephone interview I've ever given, and it was a little tedious finding the right file converter. Overall, however, I'm pleased with the interview and the sound quality. For comments, questions, concerns, and criticisms, email me at perezpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we're available on Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and New Jersey Revolution Radio. So here it is, folks, my interview with Tanzim Shanila, scholar, activist, and lifelong enemy of the Illuminati. All right, so I'm here with Tanzim Shanila. I'm going to call you Tan for the evening. And uh, Tan, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for talking with me. So I just got a couple questions for you. Sure, let's get started. So before we start, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm actually um, 33. I'm a student, a PhD student in a social psychology program at the Graduate Center. At oh, wow. Um, I'm going into my fourth year. Um, I've been doing, well, I, I started doing um, organizing work in the Bronx. I live in the Bronx. Um, I started doing organizing work about seven years ago. It was around the time that Occupy happened. Okay, so like so, 2011, right? Yeah, around that, that time, 2011. Um, so, you know, before that I had done a bunch of youth work in nonprofits, so I was really dissatisfied with the nonprofits. Occupy happened, and I, you know, I went down there like a lot of people did, and um, shortly after that, all the different, like, different neighborhoods and different boroughs started doing their own Occupy, so we started one here in the Bronx, called Occupy the Bronx, and then, you know, basically anybody who was, who had worked in a nonprofit or then wanted to do political work or had, you know, done any kind of political thing in the past um, that was in the Bronx basically came to that. Oh wow! And um, we um, from there we just started um, 
a group of us broke off and we started organizing in the neighborhood. Um, that was a group called Take Back the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started doing stuff around policing. We started doing stuff around uh, landlord-tenant issues. Um, and, you know, our whole thing was really about uh, community control in, in our neighborhoods. Okay. How we get that. Um, right. So from there, so, you know, prior to me, Joining uh, Take Back the Bronx or becoming a part of Take Back the Bronx, I um, I actually when I was in grad school, I was in a master's program at the new school, and I met a couple people who were doing organizing work in the Bronx. Um, this was before um, really Take Back the Bronx took off, and um, they were they were in like different organizations. Um, you know, I met a bunch of what was it Maoist? I met yeah. RPC people yeah. I basically met like the entire New York City left <laughs> and um, that's a lot know, it's, it's interesting yeah there's a lot of groups um, but it's it's interesting so at the time I was about 26 and okay. I understood so before I you know even met these groups I I understood capitalism to a degree right I knew that there was yeah. a thing called capitalism but it was an economic system that it was you know basically screwing us all over, keeping us poor, but simultaneously, I still believe in some of these conspiracy theories. Mm. So it's interesting, right? Because it's not only, I don't think it's only like an understanding of capitalism alone Mm -hmm. that will uh, help people to see that, you know, the Illuminati is not real. Yes. Um, Now, at the time, I didn't believe in the Illuminati per se. Um, but I was more like the conspiracy theories around 9-11. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, got, I got swept up in that. I got yeah. swept up in that. It's very easy. That I remember in it the is, video you yeah. guys were talking about the uh, uh, zeitgeist. Uh, there was one back in the day called Loose Change. Did you ever see Loose Change? Yeah. yeah that mm-hmm. one blew my mind. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, when I, now going back, sorry, I'm skipping all over the place. No, when take I your time. When I was a teenager, I, I did, you know, I believed when the 9-11 conspiracies came out, I was like, oh, this is real, you know, this is true. And mm-hmm. I started holding up $20 bills. And then... I, I use that um, in my class, by the way. I I'm, I always forget to bring in the $20 bill because I'm usually yeah. broke, but uh, I always have a, right. an image of that, um, you know, the big $20 bill and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a yeah, biggie. Yeah. Or, or the owl. Have you seen the owl on the $1 bill? No, I haven't. Oh, you got to Google that when we get off the phone. You got to Google oh, owl on the $1 bill. It is... It's a tiny microscopic owl that it's definitely there. It's an owl and it's microscopic, yeah. but you know, the owl has all kinds of symbolism within uh, conspiracy oh, wow. theories. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Awesome. I'll, um, when we're done, I could, I could send you, you know, some stuff if, if you want. Yeah, that would be cool. I never heard of that one. But oh, yeah, that's, that's so a goodie. When I was a teenager, I, you know, was into the 9-11 conspiracy. And then before that, even before 9-11 happened, I believed in the Illuminati when I was a kid because mm-hmm. everything I read, every, and everyone I talked to, that was the only thing that explained why we were poor and why we were in the conditions we did, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's, this is where I kind of get annoyed with leftists because it's like they will be so dismissive of people who believe in the Illuminati stuff or any of these conspiracy theories. And some of them are really far-fetched and crazy, and I yeah. agree. But you have to also understand some of them is because people are looking for a way to explain their conditions. Yep. That's it. People just want to explain their material conditions. So... You know, I think part of it is that we're taught to think about things on an interpersonal level, right? We're not taught to think about things systemically. 
Mm -hmm. um, so we're not taught to look towards people, or you know, we're not taught to look towards like economics, the economic system, for example. Yeah. Um, that that takes time and and you know work and reading and talking to people to get to that place. So yeah. they're not going to teach you how to dismantle the system you live in. Right, exactly. So for most people, it's like when you're a teenager, especially, or even older, older than that, like, you know, when you first come across these things, you're like, oh, this explains so much, this explains everything, you know, because yeah. it's like this idea that there's people, you, you know that there's someone responsible for the conditions and it's not you. And so I think this is one yeah. of the things that uh, really uh, draws people in because it's like for the first time, it was almost like the world started to make sense, like why we live the way we live, why you know, the conditions are what they are, it, it began to make sense. So I think conspiracy theories really appeal to people that are actually asking questions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, because they want to know what the hell is going on. We realize something is wrong. We just can't put our finger on what it is. Um, mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. Yeah. And so, so for me, like, it started as a teenager, um, and I, you know, even into my late 20s I was about like 27 I remember there was um a couple of people who were leftists that I knew and they wanted to start some organization and I was kind of like oh I don't know what they're doing you know this is kind of weird but whatever I'll fit in and I remember we were talking during the meeting and I was saying something about 9-11 and at this time I still believe I was about 27 years old and I still believe in the 9-11 conspiracy stuff yeah and I was like wait you guys don't believe that's real and they like literally rolled their eyes on me and they were yeah. like, really ridiculous and yeah it's like, condescending I don't it is condescending you know and it's just kind of like okay like of course like this stuff is not real but you have to understand where people are coming from like yeah that was a teachable so moment and they messed up yeah 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 you know so those, and I couldn't understand why they didn't believe those things it wasn't until later um, but I just couldn't understand because there was no explanation. It was just like, oh, God, you believe that, mm. you know? And That's at sad. the time, I was just like, I don't understand why they think this is such a, a difficult, like, wh why are they having a hard time understanding this? Like, yeah. yeah, why do they think that 9-11 wasn't a conspiracy? Why do they think that there wasn't, a, you know, certain people behind it? And, um, and I, yeah, I just, you know, I think about that all the time because it's like, Believing in conspiracy, people automatically assume that it means you're dumb. Yeah. And I think... And that, that's the number one mistake that I, I try to teach in my classes. Conspiracy yeah. theorists are not dumb. They are smart enough yeah. to know that there is something wrong with society, right. and they haven't yeah. yet put their finger on it. And that, that, that's a shame, because, you know, we have this... And I, I kind of... I'm, I'm guilty of it, too, a little bit. But the tinfoil yeah. hats and, you yeah. know, the, the reptilians, and we tend to yeah. paint them all with a broad brush. But I'm sorry. Continue. Right. No, 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 but you, that's a good point, you know, because there's so many different conspiracy theories out there. Like, the reptilian stuff, I never believed because I would yeah. think that just sounds ridiculous to me. Yeah. But, like, certain things, like the Rothschilds and, mm -hmm. like, the idea that there were these wealthy families who were controlling, uh, you know, what happens around the world, I mean, it made sense to me at the time. And, and the thing is, it's not so far off from what capitalism actually is in yes. a sense, right? It's a system that is run and controlled by the wealthy, and the wealthy happens to be a certain group of people yeah. and you do have people from the same families you know in each yeah. generation who are who are part of this ruling elite whether it's the political elite uh the ruling business class business elite you know um yes. so it's not so far removed now i'm not saying that we should you know back conspiracy theories no we should always when we meet people who believe in these things we should ask them questions absolutely um and ask them you know why is it that you believe this stuff try to you know 
uh, help them to understand what capitalism is systemically. Um, but they're not people are not so far off sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. from what is actually going on. And I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind. I think a lot of times, and this is just in general with the left, I have this frustration where I feel like a lot of people want to like, you know, their cards carrying leftists and they're like, oh, like it's about like proving how leftist they are. And so part of that is yeah. like downing other people. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you can do that, but that's some scene to get stuff, you. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really get you exactly. It's some scene stuff. I'm more punk than you. Yeah, basically, right? And yeah. I'm just like, ah, eh, you know, that's great. It makes you feel better, but it doesn't actually help the other person to understand yeah. what is going on, what, you know, understand things on a more systemic level. And like I said, you know, the two are not mutually exclusive, I, I don't think at least. I think you can have some sort of systemic understanding and still fall into this trap of like, well, it's, you know, the Illuminati or, or whatever, you know, like these ruling families. I just keep thinking about the Rothschild because that was always a big one to me. Oh, yeah, that's and the one that keeps coming around. Yeah, and I can never understand because, um, you know, the, so I read the history of like, I was always really into Israel and Palestine stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I would always read the history of, of you know, the Sykes-Picot Agreement and, you know, just the history of how uh, Palestine came to, to be in the hands of, of the state of Israel. And mm-hmm. it was um, these same, the same family's name kept popping up. And so to me, that was a sign that, like, well, something is going on here. You yeah. Know? And so that's why when I first, when I, you know, got more into, like, leftist politics, I couldn't for a while understand why people didn't see the connection because I was just like, but look at this, you know? Like, yeah. This one family has had a hand in so many different things. Um, so I think... Uh, getting back to what I was saying, you know, this is a flaw of the left. The left just doesn't even know how to talk to people. A lot of, a lot of the left doesn't know how to talk to people and just wants to one-up everyone. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of bored with that. Yeah, it, 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 it gets tedious. You have to find – I was lucky because uh, there was no one around me, but when I graduated school in 2006 – I'm 35 um, – okay. I hooked up with uh, the DSA back in the day. This is like, oh, the, yeah. yeah, this is like DSA 06 to 09. A lot of the okay. people who are, who are, you know, gaining prominence, prominence nationally, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew them back in the day, but, you know, there's a lot of hate on them, but they're really genuinely good people and they do care, mm-hmm. especially back in the day when I don't know anybody and I, I meet this group of people who are, who are with it and they're, uh, they're working hard, but they were able to kind of, kind of take me under their wing and, and take care of me. And they, they weren't yeah. condescending and they make it, they, they made it a point to not be condescending, and I think that that, right. uh, that helps. And uh, a lot of people, and I'm, like I said, I'm guilty of this, uh, have a tendency to be condescending when, when people don't mm-hmm. get it right away. It's, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. My wife is an educator, and she loves teaching, and it comes naturally mm-hmm. to her. For me, it's, you know, it's, sometimes it's yeah. trudging. I'm not, I'm not always the best, uh, I'm not always the right, best right, teacher. Right. But uh, let, me, yeah. let me ask you, what were your early, early influences um, with your understanding of politics? Uh, in the article, you said that your father was influential. Were there yeah. people in your neighborhood, you know, relatives? Did right. you have a, a, a – were you naturally um, inquisitive? What, what were your early experiences with uh, conspiracy yeah. theories and politics? Well, I think, yeah, definitely uh, my dad influenced my uh, interest in politics. But, it's, you know, my dad, like, we were always in, – in the house, he was always yelling about something. <laughs> like he would watch the news and he would see something and he would be yelling about it yeah. or like 
I feel like my nose was just always on. <laughs> I, I think that's that generation of uh, that generation of men. They uh, you yeah. know they get angry. They want everybody to know why they're angry, and that's just exactly. the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like my dad, and also the thing is like my parents are immigrants, you know. So coming from outside the U.S., they were always critical. My dad in particular was mm-hmm. always critical of the United States because. Mm-hmm. He grew up outside the U.S. and like to the rest of the world, the United States is like the big bad devil, and for for many reasons, you know, people in other countries like hate the United States, and I totally understand why, and I grew up understanding why. Yeah, and I understood what the criticisms were of the U.S. Where did your family um, come from? From Bangladesh. My dad is from Bangladesh. My Bangladesh. mom, um, my mom is, uh, well, she's born and raised in the U.K., but her parents are also from Bangladesh. You know. Okay, so, so you're, you're, you're Bangladeshi. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So my mom, she's like a little less, she's not, she's not political, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, but my yeah. dad was the one. My mom, you know, she was raised in the UK, so she's kind of like, whatever, I'm British, or like, I don't <laughs> care about myself. Whatever, I'm but British, I dad, like that. Can I quote you on that yeah, one? Of course, yeah, that was my mom's thing. She was like, yeah, whatever, I'm British. <laughs> but for, for my dad, it was, he was serious because he grew up in, uh, you know, a very poor country, mm-hmm. seeing like how, you know, poor countries are kept poor. And he, my, also the thing is, like, it's, it's a, has something to do with the level of education. Um, our education system in this country is abysmal, and it gets worse and worse and worse every year. I think. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I I also teach. Um, I teach at Hunter and I teach at LaGuardia, and you know, I love my students, and they're so smart. But there are just certain skills we don't teach our young people, mm. and it's so sad. And there's just certain things we don't teach. Any, we don't teach them about the world outside of the United States. They no, don't we don't. Anything. We we, we shun speaking second languages. Oh yeah. Absolutely, you know, and so to my dad, like, because he grew up in another country, he learned about the world. Mm. I mean, my dad knew about, like, other places in the world. He, and this was, this was his biggest critique always when I was growing up. He was like, look, you live in this country, you go to school here, and you don't know anything about the world because you don't learn. He's like, they don't teach you anything, and you don't look for it. And I don't think that's a fair critique because I think I did look for it. And you're uh, also a kid. My peers. And, and I cared, right. But it was it was really because, you know, I had my dad always just, like, yelling about something. Yeah. So I would, you know, like, I would look up different things. Uh, he was talking about, I remember once, we got into a conversation about Haiti. And I had, I was, like, in the fifth grade. I didn't know anything about Haiti. <laughs> I went to the library, and I took, I read every book I could on Haiti just to understand what was going on, you know, like, and what was the history. Um, so it was just little things like that that, like, my dad really influenced me, um, and his criticism, uh, criticisms of the U.S. really um, made me always sort of be critical and always think, uh, you know, look at things uh, with a critical eye, and mm. I think that that helped me as I got older. As I got older, um, you know, in my neighborhood, there was an NOI, and I almost joined mm-hmm. NOI at one point when I was, like, 14. I was about to, and then I heard their creation story, and I was like, this is crazy. Oh, Yakub, Yakub the scientist? Oh, yeah. Yacoub That's a goodie. Scientist. That's a goodie. I was just like, oh, God, all right, no. Clearly, this is not true. <laughs> it's, 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 it's interesting fiction. I like the story. Like, I, yeah. I like stories and, and myths, but right, right. but I'm not, come on. You know, like, in a cave, yeah. white white people in trees. Like, what are you talking about? White people in, right. I don't know, in trees? Uh, yeah. Keep it, it moving. It didn't make a lot of sense. Um, also, I didn't like their gender politics, to be honest with you. Yeah, they're, they're actually very right-wing. Um, they, oh, they, yeah. It, it, it's very pro-black liberatory language and, and a lot of it is right. cool and a lot of it is interesting but when you dig deep you realize they're just another right-wing organization exactly. and, and it, there's nothing like liberal yeah. and yeah. they're they're very misogynistic they're patriarchal yeah. it, it, mm-hmm. it it's it's just not it's not liberatory and that's that's a shame 
Yeah. So, so you know, when I was younger, I really because I read. When, how old was I? I forgot. I think I was about thirteen when I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm, I read so, that in college. You're way ahead of me. Oh, um, I don't know. I'm not sure I understood any like all of it, but I, I read it. Because um, I remember when the movie came out, when the Malcolm X movie came out, I saw it with my mom. Yeah. And it blew my mind, and I was like, oh shit! Like I have to find out more. And then I think I must have been about yeah, like thirteen, and I, I read the book. And, um, you know, I was really into it. And also, it, it was not only that. It was also hip-hop, you know. Like, I used to, the artists I used to listen to, I used to be really into Mob Deep and Nas. And mm. I got into Rakim. I got into yeah. Tang. And they had, like, a lot of Islamic influences into mm. their music. And they talked about a lot of, like... Rakim, Rakim I believe, uh, is a 5%er. He is a 5%er, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, like, they talked about a lot of, a lot of these... Uh, they, they had more of like a political sort of outlook and um you know listening to that stuff i kind of got more into black nationalism and yeah. i learned more and more and then of course like i had always i had grown up seeing the NOIs around you know just like hanging hanging out there newspaper the guys with the bow ties and oh wow I, when i got a little older i would always look to them um sometimes i would argue with them and then I was thinking about joining, and then, like I said, you know, it was kind of like the creation story and then, like, the gender stuff that put me off. So I ended up not joining. Um, Were you raised Orthodox Muslim? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, so they're not even real Muslims. Like, it's, it's, it's weird, it's like yeah. It's, totally different, yeah. My dad was always critical of them. Like, my dad liked their newspaper. Yeah. Because they always had interesting stories, and they, they were one of the few groups that would do stories on what's happening in other countries yeah. and you know they've always been that's good the hook. For solid in terms of solidarity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's the hook you know yeah and he would always tell me he would be like these people are messy like he hated farrakhan yeah bullshit you know so um in terms of that stuff you know my dad was not my, my family was not like uh cool with that i know why but, but I, I got interested just because I, I thought it was, their political stuff is what interested me. But yeah. Then I, you know, like I, I came to see that it's not, they're not really all that, like you said, they're not libertarians. Um, no, they're not, yeah. So then I, I kind of just like, after that, like, I got more into conspiracy theories as I got older, probably around like 14, 15. Mm -hmm. I remember I had this one best friend, Jimmy, and me and Jimmy would just always hang out and talk conspiracy theories all the time. And we would like his sister would be at his sister's house his sister had a computer so we can go online yeah try to find different oh boy. things you know if it's on the yeah, internet so, it's got to be true uh, yeah right and we ended up like and and the thing about conspiracy theories too i just want to say is that not all of them but many of them they actually have like a grain of historical truth to them absolutely but then they just twist it and turn it into some crazy stuff so yes absolutely 100 you know, percent yeah, it takes like this little piece of, of historical information that you, that was what it was for me too a lot of times. It was like, oh, okay, this is verifiable information because look, I can look it up and, you know, the Rothschilds have their name and all these different things. And then like, you know, I remember, uh, what did I see? I saw something about King Leopold, uh, the Belgian king. Oh, yeah, the, the guy that went into Congo, yeah. Right, yeah, into, into the Congo. And, um, you know, that is obviously like a true history and, and, the atrocities that he carried out were real. Yes, they um, were. But they're they're so they connect these things to so many different conspiracy theories that it just gets like wacky and it is it's 
no longer true, but it comes from a grain of truth. So for me, you know, I would look stuff up. I would hear about something. I would read about something. I would, you know, whatever, watch a video, and then I would be like, oh, let me look this up. And because I could find, like, the grain of truth, I, I made me believe that it, all of it was real. And, yeah. of course, I was young at the time, but I think this is how it works for a lot of people. I think most people that get into conspiracy theories do so when they're young. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, because these, I think that's also, like, because this is the time that, that we're – looking we're asking questions we're trying to find answers yeah um something's so, got to step in and fill that hole right yeah 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 you know and unfortunately we don't really have much of the left in this country and it's bad because the historical memory of the left has been totally destroyed um as a result of Quintel pro as you know absolutely you know, what's happened they've either killed all the left black leftist leaders um they've imprisoned people um Communism has been demonized for so long. Socialism has been demonized for so long that um, there's no historical memory. So it's like when you, you go to look back to find answers, all you're left with a lot of times or all you find are these conspiracy theories. You know, And it's crazy because I knew about the Panthers, but I didn't have access to anything about the Panthers. Like, yeah. It just seemed like conspiracy theory was like the only thing that was like you know prominent. Yeah. And it's what I was drawn to because... There was no internet. When I was a little kid, there was no internet. And I didn't get a yeah. computer until I was a senior in high school. Yeah. You know, I yeah. wasn't using the computer lab at school. I'm not staying after school, you know, right, to, yeah. to look at a computer. I'm out of here. But, um, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, kids have access to stuff now. For me, it's just questions went unanswered into my 20s or into my 30s, you know, until I yeah, had, yeah. until that stuff was, was available. Yeah, no, I, it was um, similar, you know, I didn't I, I didn't have a computer until I was actually in college, and before that, it was whatever I could get my hands on, so who was at my friend's house would, you know, yeah. go on the internet for a little while, or, you know, if I was, like, in school, skipping class, I would, like, either go to the library, or I would, like, try to jump on a computer or something, you know, but other than that... I don't think I've ever I heard that before, you skip class to go to the library and hang oh out on God, a computer? Yeah. That way, wait, wait, wait. Oh so, so you, you, you skipped class to do something nerdy, I, I kind of love that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. You know what's funny? I skipped class, I remember I had this whole period of time when I was skipping class in high school, and I would go to the library, and they had this whole section um, on... Uh, Middle East on the Middle East, and I yeah. took out all these books about Muammar Gaddafi, and I would just sit in the library and read them like a yeah. gigantic nerd. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hey, I, I look to, to quote the great Mark Twain or Samuel Clemens, whatever you want to call him. I never let school uh-huh. get in the way of my education. Yeah, there you go. You know? Ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but it was you know it just seemed like the only thing that was available to me was like um, to explain. Uh, conditions with uh, conspiracy theories, but okay. yeah, so that's kind of like how I got into that stuff. All right, so when when you first started coming into contact with conspiracy theories, is this something that's widespread? Is this only a handful of people? Um, is it is it older people, people you respect? Is it is it is it young people, people your age? So you said you know you would chat with your buddy, or you'd see yeah. the Nation of Islam, you know. Uh, you know, on the right. street corner. So I guess it would be like a combination of both. You just, these are just ideas you hear reinforced going about your, your day-to-day routine. Yeah, always. They were constantly reinforced. Um, so when I was growing up, actually, my dad did not really talk to me about conspiracy theories. Like, mm-hmm. he wasn't like, oh, the Illuminati or whatever. His mm-hmm. was just more like railing against the United States. Foreign policy um, issues. Foreign policy issues. But my dad has always felt like, his thing has always been the United States. He knows the U.S. is racist, and he's just like they are doing these things. Like for example, like uh, the Iraq War, the, the Gulf War. 
Mm-hmm. I remember, I, and I was young when it happened, but I remember my dad being so angry about it. And, you know, the Iran, uh, the situation with sanctions against Iran, my dad was so angry. And I just remember him always saying, they're only, they're just doing this because they're racist. Like, to him, everything boiled down to, like, racism. Ah, not oil um, and resources. Exactly. Yeah, territory. Right, right. So for him, it was always like, oh, this is because they're racist. That's yeah. it. The racism um, makes and, it easier. Right, yeah, you know. And so I, I didn't get, I didn't get conspiracy theories from him, but I also didn't get, like, uh, you know, any kind of concrete material structural analysis as to why things yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that didn't actually come until much later, to be honest with you. I, I think I must have been into my mid-20s by the time I actually started to come across explanations like that. Um, before that, it was a combination of conspiracy theory and, well, it's just racism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, and I think that this is what many, many young people uh, who begin to think, question what's happening, many young people, I think, end up going down this path as well, where it's like, because race is like the most glaringly obvious thing in this country. You know, if you're a person of color, as you know, when you grow up, it's like everything is boiled down to race. And, and it's because that is kind of what colors our um, experience so much in the U.S. And also in the United States, you know, we don't have, collectively, we don't really have a class analysis. Where is the class analysis? Yeah, it, it's almost so, not yeah. existent. They don't teach it in school. Right. Exactly. You know, so of course, like, we know that we're poor. This was kind of what did it for me. Like, I knew that I was poor, but I thought I was poor because I wasn't white. So I was a person of color, you know? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about things like, I never heard of capitalism until much later. I didn't know about capitalism until I was probably in college. Yeah. Um. And, and even then, it's, it's just like, the way you live. You don't understand it. You don't verbalize it. It's just, right. it, it is what it is. It is the world we live in. You don't put a name to it. You right. can't fight right. it. You can't understand mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, my dad, getting back to that, you know, he, he didn't talk about conspiracy theories, but other people certainly did. Even the NOI guys, I remember, like, talking to them, and there were certain conspiracy theories that they also believed. And they, but their response was always, well, you know, the nation or the, the you know, Mr. Minister Farrakhan says, blah, 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 blah. And uh, it would kind of, like, be a, a response or a way to, like, you know, mitigate whatever conspiracy theory, whatever the impacts of these conspiracy theories were supposedly, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, like, it's hard to pinpoint. It's not one thing, like you said, you know? It's, like, a series of many, many different things. Yeah. And many different people that influence you. Um, and one interesting thing, I remember... It was a few years ago. Um, I must have been about 28. And at that point, when I was around 28, 29, I was, like, super into leftist politics. Like, I'm very dogmatic, even. Um, and I was one of these people to, uh, that I was talking about earlier that would, like, shun other people for not agreeing or understanding or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, I and, hear you. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm guilty of that, too. I could, I yeah. could be dogmatic if, you know, I mean, I, I, I am guilty of, seeing your politics as a reflection of who you are as a person right. at your core. So if you have crappy politics, I used to interpret that as, oh, you're probably a crappy person. You right. know? And I don't realize, you know, there's miseducation, there's ignorance, there, maybe they're just in a right. bad mood that day. There's a bunch of right. other factors. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly trying to overcome that, you know? Yeah, I was definitely like that at this point. I remember having a conversation with my dad, 
And we were talking about something, and I don't remember what, and I was like, that is capitalism. I was like trying to always explain to him, like, it's capitalism, why don't you understand? And my dad's thing is, he's just like, when I would like talk about communism, and he's like, no, communism is crazy. Like, yeah. he thinks communism, socialism, you know, I mean, I don't know how he feels about socialism, but definitely communism, he thinks it's like crazy, nut job. Yeah, North, know, North Korea, Joseph Stalin, yeah. I'm not into that, buddy. Right, I'm not right, fighting right. for that, dude, yeah. Yeah, my dad is just like, you're nuts. And he, my dad, I think at one point was convinced that I had fallen in with some sort of cult because he was just like, <laughs> oh my God, like, what are you saying? But to him, like, when I, so growing up, he talked about the Russians. So we, he taught me a lot about Cuba mm. when I was a kid. And he really liked, you know, what happened in Cuba. He was a supporter of the revolution for a long time. And he, you know, bought me a book about Cuban history um, when I was a kid. And I read this book and I got more and more into Cuba and my dad was really into Che and he didn't really like Fidel but he liked Che a lot because he thought Che really stood for you know these socialists. No, the the difference is one died young and the other one didn't. That's the uh, exactly. That's I, the I I mean I don't really hate on Fidel. I, he's not perfect and yeah. I I don't I wouldn't want to live in Cuba. But you know what I mean? It, it's you know yeah. it was the the external situation created Cuba. He didn't have to right. be who he was. He was created. But you know that's that's beside the point. We're not talking about Castro. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, um, so yeah, so my dad would always, um, you know, talk to me about Cuba and stuff, mm-hmm. but then when it, he hated Russia. My father hated the, the Soviets because his thing was, oh, you see, like, Che knew that the Soviets couldn't be trusted. This is yeah. what he was trying to tell Fidel, and Fidel wasn't listening. And my dad, to my dad, you know, what happened in Afghanistan with the Russians, that was, like, a huge thing because yeah. it's, regionally, that it was, like, a big deal, you know, like, the Russians came in. It alienated the Muslim world because exactly. they saw themselves as outside the capitalist, because you know, they saw themselves as fighting both capitalism and communism at that point. Exactly. It was counterproductive, absolutely. Right, yeah. So to my dad, that was just like the fact that the Soviets did that just marred yeah. They're you know, imperialists now. the idea of, of communism forever, and he was just like totally against it, um, which is interesting because actually his dad was a Maoist. Mm. Um, my grandfather was a Maoist, but this was at a time when, you know, Stalinism, Stalinism hadn't quite taken hold, and uh, China was uh, not what it is today. And um, he also kind of, my, he was like a third worldist, so he kind of like followed. He just followed Mao because like Mao was like the third world leader or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know. Some, but that, that, that's how he saw himself. Absolutely, yeah. Right, right. So. Uh, so my grandfather was, you know, a Maoist. My dad kind of, like, shunned all this because he hated the Russians. And so <laughs> when I would talk to my dad about communism, he would just be like, no, this is crazy. And I remember once having this conversation with him, and I was like, Daddy, listen to me. It's, um, it's capitalism. And I would try to break it down. And he was like, no, you need to read about the Illuminati. And by this point, I had already stopped. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was just like, oh, my God. He believes in the Back Illuminati. to full circle. But you're, you're back <laughs> to the beginning. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and parents just don't understand. Exactly, you know. And so we ended up. I couldn't talk to him about it because we were both like just like yelling at each other. So nothing came of that conversation. But um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Like growing up, he never talked about this stuff. When I was growing up, he never talked about this stuff. And then at twenty nine or whatever age I was, all of a sudden. My dad is like, "You need to learn about the Illuminati because this is what's wrong." <laughs> You're like, "Wait a second. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. And parents. Yeah. My. Yeah. That's just. That's how it goes. You know. They. Um. Yeah. You know. You reach an age in life where you'll. You know. We'll, most of us will always love our parents, but 
a lot of us have that moment in our lives where you just realize, you know, my parents are just people. They're just yeah. people. You know, they're not, they're not, I, I mean, they're icons to you, but they're just regular people. They have flaws. You know, they're not right all the time. And yeah, that's, that's a part of growing up. That's one of the great realizations of, uh, of, of, of becoming an adult is realizing everyone you've yeah. looked up to. They're just, they're just people. <laughs> they're just people. Yeah. yeah that's just very true. So, um, what do you feel is like the general reaction to conspiracy theories of people you've come across? Is it usually one of hopelessness? Um, cause I, I remember in your video, uh, do you feel like it steers people to action or do you feel like it kind of calms them down? Because, um, it, it, it tends to calm them. I guess I just kind of answered my own, uh, my own question, yeah. but, but do you think, have you ever seen anyone get energized about it? Like anybody who says, you know, I, I, the Illuminati's real, um, I'm going to start a workshop. I'm going to have a book reading. I'm going to have something or, or, or does it always turn to fatalism? Well, you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think, well, one thing that I've seen it does is that it, it's almost a relief when you learn, when you read about this stuff, because it's like, oh my God, I'm not crazy. Like something really is wrong. Something is going on. So it almost confirms what you what your suspicions are I guess yeah. at least that's what it did for me and I think I think it does that for a lot of people because it's like yeah you see I knew something was wrong I knew something was messed up yeah in terms of uh, you know pushing people to action I'm not sure that it, I don't I've never seen it yeah necessarily push people to action in the way that like the left wants people to take action right yeah um which would be like doing a you know a study group or uh whatever an event or anything like that but I think there's certainly a sharing of information, yeah, between amongst peers. I mean, I did this with my friends when I was growing up, you know. Um, somebody would read something there, something would tell, somebody would tell someone else, and then you watch the video or you read the book, and then you guys talk about it. So yeah. in that sense, I think, like, you know, um, information is shared, and it sort of, it, it pushes people to take action in that way. Um, but outside of that, I've never seen anyone be like, I'm going to, like, educate people about this, like, in some yeah. larger way. Yeah. Um, and, again, I think that the reason for that is because we're, you know, mass action is not something that, like, we're taught. We're, everything is interpersonal. We see everything interpersonally, and I think we interact with each other in a way that is, like, only focuses on the interpersonal and not the larger, if that yeah. makes sense. Right. It does. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So you're a South Asian woman in a predominantly African American community, or I guess you're a girl. You're growing up at this point, but yeah. uh, you're 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 coming of age. Um, did you ever come across anyone that you felt was just like disingenuous? You know, this person's just a grifter. You know, I see I see these yeah. right wingers on TV. The Milo Yiannopoulos is is the yeah. Ben Shapiro's, the Charlie Kirks. There's this new clown creeping out of the woodwork. Jordan Peterson. And I'm just like, mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. people, they're just grifters. Like, it's the same right. old right-wing Christian, yeah. or in Ben Shapiro's case, he's a right-wing Jew. Like, just the same, like, like just patriarchal, you know, um, Islamophobic nonsense. But have you ever come across yeah. someone that, I mean, in, in your world, these are all white men and, and whatnot, right. give, giving voice to the status quo. But have you ever come across, you know, men of color, women of color? Um, are they usually men? Uh, just anybody you came across who's like, you know, this guy's just full of it. This guy's full of shit. Right, you don't, you don't right. have you don't have well, to name names, but is that something right. that you said? You know, I, this guy he, he's just lying. He knows he's lying. Or or do you think that they're that they're you know that they're sincere in their in their beliefs? 
I think so first it was all men exclusively men mm-hmm. that that I came in contact with um with this kind of stuff but I you know I think that the people who I came across were actually very genuine they they were not purposely maliciously lying to people okay they're not grifters um, they, no definitely not not like what you know not like these right-wing guys like you mentioned not at all um there are people that just really they believe in this stuff and they want you know they want to talk about it and they're interested in talking about it with people with whoever will listen and whoever will engage with them and and part of it is also it's like this idea of like it's kind of similar to what happens on the left which is like oh like i learned about this thing i have the truth now so i see things more clearly than other people um it was kind of that attitude like an elitist egotistical strength a little bit yeah there was a lot i'm enlightened you're not enlightened you know interesting because it's just you know basically basically, i'm an illuminatus and you're not but (laughs) but but that's the idea yeah (laughs) right yeah but but i think that there was a lot of that um but again not definitely not like disingenuous okay um at all yeah and you said it's pretty much men you didn't did you ever come across women who who believe this stuff or not really, but also I was like weird and only hung out with boys when I was. <laughs> nah, it doesn't make you weird. You're just, you're just. It's called growing up. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So but um, my friends weren't guys before, so these are the people that I would talk to, talk, um, with about this stuff. And I never really came across any young women my age who were interested mm-hmm. or as interested in this mm-hmm. kind of stuff as I was. Um, I don't know. How did they react to you? I mean, you're an inquisitive woman. Um, mm-hmm. you're from the area, but you're not, I mean, I don't know how you identify, but you're a South Asian woman in a, in a black community. Um, do you right. think that they, like when you would, you know, maybe, you know, you're testing them or you're just questioning them, did they get defensive? Um, would, they, would they engage with you? Um, how no, do you, how do you feel? Yeah, I think most people engage with me. Like most of the guys that I would talk to about this stuff, like were engaging with me. Like when I was about to join the NOI, they were like excited to like have a person joining, you know? Like, yeah. No, I, I yeah. Yeah, so also I think that they were confused about me. I think a lot of people, first of all, they thought I was Puerto Rican. Oh, oh, really quick. I have, I have to stop you for a second because I'm Puerto Rican and I saw the video and I'm like, this girl looks like my mom with the curly hair <laughs> and the hoop earrings. But I'm like, Tanzim Shanila is not a Spanish name. Yeah. I, see, I saw the, uh, the, um, the crescent moon and star tattoo on your arm. I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, this girl, I'm like, I'm like, she's not Puerto Rican, but there's... There's there's something there. I, I, I th- real quick. I have to say something. I like to play yeah. what's called the brown people game, right? Uh-huh. Which is you know there's there's blacks, there's whites, there's East Asians. But when you come across brown people, Latinos, mm-hmm. Asians, mm-hmm. Arabs, like it, it, there's always this. Well, where where are you from, right? Because exactly. people look at me, they think I'm an Arab, they think I'm Persian, they think I'm Indian, South Asian. Yeah. They don't know. You know, and and it's funny. So when I meet, like, if I see you, I'm like, oh, I, I got to play the brown person game with her. You know, don't yeah, don't yeah, don't, yeah. don't tell me your name because <laughs> because we're just gonna give it away, right? right? Yeah. But I'm I'm sorry, but <laughs> go ahead. No, I'm no, sorry. No, so fine. you're a South Asian woman. They they think you're Puerto Rican. You're yeah, you're you're, you're coming up to them. How much I explained to people, like, no, guys, I'm not Puerto Rican. I would explain what I. They just didn't get. No one understood growing up. They were just like, yeah, yeah, you're Puerto Rican. I was like, all right, you know what? <laughs> so yeah, I'm not gonna argue. <laughs> like, what's the point? Look, I like so, rice and beans, but uh, I'm not. I'm not Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah, but um, no. So you know, people like I always came across guys that would engage with me um, yeah. on this stuff, and actually, it was interesting. Like when I when I was 
about 14 and I was, um, and, you know, talking with the NOI guys, they were just like, wow, like, you're really informed. Like, that's really good. You know, they were, like, excited that there was a young person, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like interested in talking about what's going on in the world and like why things are messed up and I, I don't know that you know you know if you look at the NOI it's mostly like older dudes it was always like that it's a generational um, thing yeah they're they're yeah yeah and so to have like I think anytime there was like any young people there was like maybe like a handful of us but anytime there was like any young people that were like engaging on this type of stuff like they I think they appreciated it or they were happy to see that you know yeah um and also, there was kind of this solidarity, in particular with the NOI, this, like, non-white solidarity. You know, the NOI is, like, very much against white people. Yeah. Very anti-Semitic. Yeah. And, you know, and unfortunately, when I was younger, I, I did have some of that anti-Semitism. I think it comes from, you know, learning about Israel and Palestine and also hearing the things that my family used to say. I mean, they're pretty anti-Semitic, you know? Well, and yeah, I mean, have... anti-Semitic, look, Islamophobia is a real thing yeah. and it's gross, but anti-Semitism lives and it's strong. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in, in a country like Bangladesh or in a country like Egypt, there, you know, wherever there, there are going to people profiting from anti-Semitism. Right. Let's, let's blame them as Jews as opposed to, yeah you know, a colonial settler state backed by Western imperialism. Um, yeah. we don't, you know, they never discuss, you know, income inequality in Israel. Nobody ever wants to talk mm-hmm. about poor Israelis. It's, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, anti-Semitism is a strain that, that lives throughout the Arab world, South Asia, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, Persia, the Muslim world. It, it, it's, right. it's, a re- it's a reality. It's a reality. And it's an ugly reality. It is. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, just getting back to what, um, the 9-11 stuff, when mm-hmm. 9-11 happened, one of the conspiracy theories that I heard from my family was that it was Jews. It was Israelis, so yeah. Not, it was Israelis. So in mm-hmm. 1917 or 16, I forgot how old that 16, 17, when 9-11 happened, and all of a sudden, everyone, and one of them in my family is like, oh, it was the Israelis. They did yeah. Look, they I'm of the opinion on. that uh, Amiri Baraka might be the greatest American poet, but he definitely had some anti-Semitic... Uh, feeling yeah. and he took a hit because of it and he he refused mm-hmm. to acknowledge his ignorance in the issue and it it, it, it mm-hmm. unfortunately hurt his legacy but you know but uh, but right. yeah i mean it, it's there's always room for anti-semitism un- unfortunately it's yeah it, it's this and zombie it's, that keeps coming back and it's you know when you're looking for a lot of these conspiracy theories a lot of them are anti-semitic absolutely a lot of them are about i remember when i was like 17 i started um I met this guy, he had this little, like, Rastafarian Jamaican store, and I started going over there, and I would get books from him, and read the books about Rastafarianism and stuff, and we just talk, and he, his thing was just like, it's the Jews, everything was the Jews, mm. and I was just like, oh my god, like, and at 17, you know, again, like, I was getting the same type of stuff from my family, and I wasn't really questioning it, mm-hmm. and I kind of agreed with him, and then it wasn't until I got older, and I was like, whoa, hold on, wait a second, like, there's something wrong here, yeah. and I, I had to work through that, but, you know, it's it's something that, um, especially when it comes from, I think, people of color, it's almost, like, sort of as acceptable to be to say these things about Jews, it's not seen as, like, anti-Semitism, I don't know, like, it, 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 it's, it's It's almost, like, anti-Semitism and anti-blackness are, like, the, 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 the two racisms that never seem to die or go away, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. could be black and be anti-black. 
Um, you yeah. could be you could be uh, uh, an Afro Latino and hate black people, yeah. and they all are going to hate Jews for some reason. I mean, there's there's definitely a uh, omnipresent Christianity religious reason for it, mm-hmm. right? As in, you know, these are the people that killed our Lord and Savior. But uh, right. yeah, I mean, uh, anti-Semitism it just it won't die, it won't go away mm-hmm. because yeah, I mean, you can't just make people forget their hatred. It's it's unfortunate. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so there was a lot of anti-Semitism um, in these conspiracy theories. Um, a lot of the, the men that I was, or the guys that I was just like talking to them about were anti-Semitic, mm. um, and you know, so I no problem with it. It was just like to them, it was just fact. And it was yeah. the same way with my dad. It was just fact. Like, yeah, the Israelis did this, 9/11, and they're blaming Muslims. Yeah. It's not Muslims. You know? And and there's definitely place to criticize Israeli domestic policy, Israeli right. foreign policy. But it, mm-hmm. there, there's a political reason for it. There's an economic reason, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. race reason is is a part of it. But it's not, you know, Jews aren't just mm-hmm. these evil people. I mean, my, my wife is right. a Jew, Jewish woman. She is a right. she is a Holocaust educator. Um, she yeah. is a proud social justice warrior, and yeah. um, and it, and and you know, I I was always aware of anti-Semitism, but you, you don't really mm-hmm. Americans don't really understand how omnipresent it, it is yeah. historically just in the West. I mean, and, and interestingly, my next question was going to be, did you ever come across anti-Semitism in the discussions? And you just totally blew that question out of the water. Yeah. But um, yeah. so and you had mentioned the uh, the Rothschild family. Um, what about the protocols of the elders of Zion? Did you ever come across that one? Because that's that's I, one that that keeps, you know, it keeps yeah. resurfacing. That, that one won't die. I did come across that. I put, I don't remember all of what it was about, yeah. to be honest with you, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but I remember coming across that. I came across a lot of stuff about King Leopold. I came mm. across a lot of stuff about that what else? What about Jews as the uh, the whole Antichrist thing, right? Like, did oh, you ever come yeah. across something like that? Yeah. That's yeah, another one. The Antichrist. Oh, what was the other one? There was a microchip thing. Okay, yeah, uh, the, the, the mark of the beast. beast, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I actually believed that wholeheartedly at one point. I was probably like 22, 23, mm-hmm. and I just mm-hmm. remember being like, I heard something, a uh, story about like how credit cards were going to be like in, turned into like microchips embedded in your skin. I was like, oh, my God, it's the mark of the beast. Well, that's what they used to say about Social Security. The Social Security yeah. number was the mark of the beast, and Franklin Roosevelt yeah. was uh, was the Antichrist. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's again, it's these, it, but it's it's, and and this conversation is going to get tied into a larger series I'm doing. But it's these same themes that keep getting repeated. It's these same ideas that keep right. getting repeated that just don't go away. But you you kind of, I mean, I feel like this this is this discussion is going really well. My next question was going to be, were there other related ideas that would be discussed? So you came up with, you know, the microchip, the mark of the beast, mm-hmm. and I remember being probably about eleven, ten years old. I'm at my aunt and uncle's house in Long Island. I'm running around, and my cousin ran to the store with my aunt, and they throw a pamphlet down on the table. Apparently, somebody was in the parking lot with little pamphlets talking about the mark of the beast, putting them on windshield wipers. Oh, my God. And I remember finding, like, I remember I breeze it. I'm this inquisitive 11, 12 years old. I'm already kind of into, like, you know, the whole Bigfoot and aliens things. I'm I'm really young. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm into that stuff. And I mm-hmm. see this, and it kind of it kind of blew my mind. But... Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. you you came across the microchip, you came across the whole mark of the beast. What about other stuff? Like, did you ever um, get strains of like aliens, Area Fifty One, devil worship, AIDS conspiracies, stuff so stuff AIDS like conspiracies. that? Conspiracies. I grew up hearing 
the AIDS conspiracy because my father taught me. I remember I was probably about six years old, and we were watching a documentary about uh, AIDS in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. And my father said, you know how they got AIDS over here? And he was like, it's because German Jewish doctors mm. created this in a laboratory and infected people in Africa. He said they wanted to kill black people off, so they infected people in Africa with this. And the disease got so out of control that even now, they, you know, white people, he said they, he's like, yeah. even they are seeing uh you know, impacted by this. They, they've lost control, but yeah. They've lost control of it, you know, but it was intended only to kill black people mm. in Africa. Um, yeah. So I, I actually believe this. I it, it, it's a shame so, because they misinterpret indifference for maliciousness. Right. Capitalism doesn't right. care. That's the problem. People think it's evil. Yeah. No, the evil is they just don't care. That's exactly. that's it. Like, they don't, they just mm -hmm. don't care. Like, but I'm sorry, go ahead. You, yeah. you were on to something. I keep interrupting you. Go ahead. No, 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 it's fine. Um, Yeah, so, so my dad told me this, and I believe it. Even in college, because I remember one, I used to do youth work when I was in college, and uh, I was doing, they asked me that we were all going to pick, like, a topic and, like, do a little, uh, you know, uh, like, a discussion, have, like, uh, do a discussion about the topic with, um, and present to the, the youth, and so I chose AIDS, and I went on this tangent about how, like, AIDS was created in a laboratory by mm. white German doctors, <laughs> white oh, German boy. doctors and how they infected, you know, black people in Africa, because I actually believed it. it it's funny, a shame, it's totally true. because Jews yeah. are usually, A, they're always the first to get picked on, you know, yeah. um, or among the first, I'll say, and yeah. there have always been Jews involved in civil rights, in liberation right. movements, yeah. and, and like, it, like, they're just written out of history, like the Freedom Riders, one of them was, um, I'm sorry, not yeah. the Freedom Riders, yeah, um, the, the guys in the 50s who went down to the south, they were in who that went car. went the and they got killed. Yeah. One, of, one of the guys was Jewish. Um, yep. There were a lot of German-Jewish intellectuals that came to the United States mm -hmm. escaping Nazism and worked right. in, in African-American colleges and integrated in yeah. African-American communities. Like Albert Einstein worked with, with a lot of black Americans because he saw them as, yeah. uh, as marginalized people. And, and it, it, it's frustrating when, when marginalized groups bicker with one another it's it's counterproductive mm -hmm. and it's just uh yeah it's just, it, it's just so so frustrating mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it really is um so yeah so this is like the AIDS conspiracies were were one the other i heard about the alien stuff i didn't really get too much into that yeah um just because it didn't interest me as much um but i i think for a time i was like oh there probably are aliens area 51 i remember watching a couple things about Area 51 yeah. and believing it and being like, well, of course the government is lying to us. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure aliens are real, yeah. right? I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Yeah. Do I think they're coming yeah. here to just, you know, cornhole a farmer? I'm like, well, that's a waste of resources, technology, and time. You're going to go halfway across the universe to, uh, you know, burn burn a picture in a field? You know, why not just mm -hmm. send a mm -hmm. robot? I don't know. It, it, it's just, it, it's weird. But a lot of people don't realize is a lot of far-right right, um, white supremacist conspiracy theories and I didn't realize this until recently, do have an Area 51 UFO tint to it. Timothy McVeigh, the man responsible with the uh, Oklahoma City bombing, actually believed in aliens, had gone to Area 51 and thought mm -hmm. the government was covering it up. So that's why I asked. It, it is wow. in the yeah. shadows of white supremacist conspiracy theories, but mm -hmm. you coming from the inner city among uh, mm -hmm. black people, I, I just I wanted to know if it was there also. But, um, yeah, I didn't honestly, I didn't come across so much of the alien stuff, but, um, you know, all the others, definitely. Um, there was one thing that I, I actually, I remember from when I was a child, 
my dad used to have these like FBI page. They used to call them the FBI page. Okay. And I just remember him and his friends like sitting around watching them, and they were just tapes filled with like conspiracy theory stuff. Uh, so there was some stuff you heard about like the Waco, Texas stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it was something about, like, Waco, Texas, and then they had, like, other conspiracies in there, like, the New World Order, and mm, then, like, that's the a biggie. Of, like, all of that stuff. Yeah, you know? like so It was I called the FBI that. tapes? I'm going to have to look that one up. This is what my dad used and his friend used to call them. I don't uh, know what they were uh, actually called, but they were, like, FBI tapes. Like VHS tapes from back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I don't, I don't know, um... If a lot of that stuff's lost, man. All that stuff on VHS, like you couldn't digitize stuff. It was just I know, totally yeah. different world. Stuff came and it and it and it and it went. I know. Um, but yeah, I sorry, I just thought of that now. Yeah, that, that's fine. Hey, look, you jump in anytime. But let me ask you: Did you have? Was there like an aha moment? Like maybe you're going to school, you're in a social psych class, you're in a poli psych class, sociology, where it just hit you. You said, you know what this conspiracy theory stuff, this Illuminati stuff, this AIDS stuff, it's, it, it, it's, it's not real. Was there a specific right. moment or was it just, uh, or was it just like a, like a slow trickle and you finally just came to a realization? Yeah, it was definitely a slow trickle process. Um, you know, it was, like I said, like I, I learned about capitalism. I began to have more of a systemic understanding, but somehow I still managed to believe in the 9-11 conspiracy stuff. And then you know, it was just the more I learned about how capitalism operates, um, and the more I learned about history, really, I was able to to understand that wait, this is not real. There's actually historical material reasons why things happen the way they do. Let me look at that. You know. Yeah. Um. So, for example, one thing I remember reading that just kind of like blew my mind was an article by this guy named David Graeber, who's like this anarchist. Um. I'm sorry, how, what was his last name, David what? David Graeber, G-R-A-E-B-E-R. Okay, I'm about to check him so out. So he's this anarchist academic, and he had this piece that basically talked about, like, why New York City, like, why the boroughs in New York City are so poor, why our neighborhoods are so poor. And he gives a concrete historical analysis of what happened. Uh, yeah, he's not just blaming the Jews. <laughs> right. He's talking about economics. He's talking about history. He's mm. talking, you know, he's talking about in the 70s when the city was broke. What happened? How did the city become what it is today? Um, and so reading that really kind of helped me to understand, whoa, this is really a historical thing. And these conspiracy theories, this is when I really, really started to move away from conspiracy theories more because I was just like, this doesn't explain anything, but the historical stuff does, you know? So I think, like, that kind of helped me, um, just, like I said, just learning more, like, reading more about history, like, social histories, mm. and, you know, reading histories from the perspective of leftists in particular was mm -hmm. very helpful because they draw the connection, they help me draw the connection between, like, how, how did New York City being, uh, you know, bankrupt, how did that impact what was going on in places like the South Bronx, in East New York, in, you know, other neighborhoods? Um, why were these neighborhoods so, like, just uh, so poor and so forgotten about by the city? And there's concrete reasons why, you know? So it kind of, it helped me to think about things in a more systemic way, um, in a more historical way. Because previous to this, like, I I know, like, you know, I was always into history, but I didn't read a whole lot of history that sort of 
helped me to understand uh, the material reality that we're living in. And so that was one of the first pieces um, that that really helped with that. And I think just like reading more and more about like the U.S. economic policy, how economic policy really shapes everything in this country, yeah. and has historically, you know, shaped who has access to what, who has access to education, who has access to, to any of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think history like a great way to, to begin to understand, to begin to have an understanding that pulls you away from conspiracy theories. Okay. And uh, if you can hang on for a couple more minutes, I would, I would mm-hmm. definitely appreciate it. Uh, sure. But a- as you've grown, as you've matured, as you've come to this understanding that this general critique of, of capitalism and the status quo, do you get pushback from people who, you know, you grew up with, people you knew back in the day? Mm-hmm. Does anybody ever say, oh, you know, Tan, you're a dupe, you're, you're one of the sheeple? Um, do you, do you yeah. still get that? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because the thing is, like, you have to understand, like, you know, when people read about this stuff, like, it explains for them, like, coming across that stuff explains their life so well. Yeah. And it's a really hard thing to break with because it's just like, no, 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 but this makes sense, you know? Yeah. And so even when you try to give people an analysis that would also make sense, it's hard to break out of what you've been, what you've known to be the truth for so long. Um, so, yeah, I get that. Cognitive dissonance. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I get that all the time. People are, are just like, no, like, this is what they want you to believe. That's what I always get, you know, like, oh, yeah, they want you to believe this. And I'm just like, no, listen to me. Like, it's actually like, <laughs> something. But Yeah, well, yeah, actually. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. So, um, is, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. I think the other thing is, like, people don't want to be told, like, yeah. what to believe, you know? Yeah. So it's a really hard conversation to have because I know that when even when I was, like, you know, learning more about leftist politics and meeting, you know, more leftist groups and talking with them. Like, at one point when they told me that, like, you know, like the 9-11 conspiracy stuff wasn't real, I thought they were crazy. I was like, all right, they just don't understand. I was like, it's yeah. just white people that don't understand anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. They're a little weird. But, you know, this is, like, the automatic go-to because, again, you, this, this has explained so much for you for so long. Yeah. Um, how do you, you know, how, how do you approach the topic, right? You got a friend, somebody, so, okay, so you got a guy, um, young guy, young woman, they know, uh, you know, they know something's wrong with the world. They, they, they have a nominal understanding of inequality. They can see it around their daily lives. How do you, how do you approach that topic? Do you say, hey, look, well, you're right about X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah, let's talk about the rich people that are controlling the world. Let's talk about them. Yeah. Yeah, I ask a lot of questions. I try to do that now. I think before I made the mistake of just going in and trying to be like, well, I have all this information that yeah. I can tell you. People yeah. don't respond well to that. So I ask them questions more, you know. So tell me, you know, uh, why is it that you think, like, the Illuminati is real? What, what is the Illuminati to you? Mm. How do you understand this? And then try to, I try to make the connections between what they're saying and capitalism and try to shift it away from, like, this like individual, interpersonal type of analysis and moving more towards the structural one, but it's very hard because again, we're not trained to think structurally, you know? Yeah. What is, uh, who, who would you say are your uh, major influences at this point? So, I mean, you said that you're in graduate school now, you're studying social yeah. psychology, um, not necessarily mm-hmm. with regards to conspiracy theories, but just, you know, understanding politics, understanding social psychology. Mm-hmm. Who who would you say are your biggest influences? 
Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I would have said, if you had asked me this like a couple years ago, or even a year ago, I would have said Mark. Karl Marx, okay, that's fair. I love Marx, I like Marx, Um, and I think that Marx had a great understanding of capitalism, and I think Marx has some pieces that he's written that really get to the heart of what it means to be alienated and to feel alienated, and I really appreciate Marx for that. The one thing I don't like is the tendency for leftists to put, to act like Marx is God. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I think, you know, so so I've kind of, I think that I was like that at one point, and I'm trying to not be that way, because also, like, he's just a man, you know, he was just a theorist. So Marx has a lot of good things to say, and I I would encourage people to read. Marx starts even with, like, his, he has a piece on alienation, and I think, like, for me, that was, like, the piece that really, like, drew me in. Which one? Is that the uh, 18th 18th Brumaire, which is the one he talks about uh, alienation? Uh, Oh man, I don't remember. Ah, you you can get back. We'll fight. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but he's he's doing a uh, he writes this piece on alienation and he talks about what it is to be a worker. Mm. And I just remember I read it when I was in college and I used to work at Forever Twenty One when I was in college and I, I went to work one day and Oof. I just remember being that, that that's there where you pick up the the class struggle is in uh, yeah, cu- customer yeah. service. That's oh, what made, that's, that's what hardened me is customer service. But go ahead, oh, I'm sorry. Horribly, yeah. But no, and I just remember being at work one day, and I was exhausted, and I was closing, and the store was a mess, and I just looked around, and I was like, I can't even afford to buy half of the stuff in this store with what I get paid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, this is what Mark is talking about. I'm an alienated worker. I was like, everything makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So I think um definitely you know Mark um I don't know I'm re- so right now I'm actually reading some stuff on ideology. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting. There's this British ideology, uh, the British theorist who writes about ideology named um, Terry Eagleton, and he has a really good book. It's a Terry it's Terry Eagleton. Eagleton, yeah. And the book is just called Ideology. Okay, and I might I might actually have that one on my 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 my, my library. I'm I'm drawing a blank now, but Terry yeah, Eagleton but Ideology. Okay. Yeah, that is a great book because one, his writing style is so clear. Like, I like, I appreciate writers that write clearly, that don't go out of their way to use this academic language. Yeah, I do too. To the point where you cannot understand what they're saying, you know? Yeah. No, really no one talks like that. No one talks like that. Yeah. And you're not, yeah, exactly. you're not going to save anybody talking that. Yeah, it's it's counterproductive right. at, at times. Absolutely. But um, I think Eagleton, you know, he really does a good job of breaking down what the different theorists say about, um, you know, the grand theorists, like what, what they say about ideology. So he talks about Marx, he talks about Lukács, he talks about... Um, Hegel, he talks about Gramsci, and he breaks down their arguments, and he does it in a way that is so clear that I, I really like that stuff. So, you know, and, and I'm reading more about ideology now because I kind of had to take a step back. I took a step back from all my organizing work. I'm, I'm not organizing right now, um, and I, I don't want to because I also feel like none of us know what to do. You know, there's so many little groups that try to do things, at least here in New York City, and it's just like nobody knows what to do. And yeah. part of it is because we don't have an understanding of why people believe what they believe. Mm. You know? What, is that why you're studying social psych? Like to, yeah, to get to the actually, root of it? Okay. Yeah, social psych, and I'm doing uh, my dissertation is on ideology. And, mm. you know, how, how do people, you know, how do you break with the dominant ideology? Well, first, what is ideology? How, how are we defining this? Um, do we have a dominant ideology? If we do, how do people break with this? What about the people that break with it to the left versus the people that break with it to the right? And I'm especially interested in the alt-right um, mm. because I think that, you know, this 
far right is is growing in the United States, growing globally actually. Um, yes, it is. And I, you know, of course there are the economic reasons, um, which I, I totally understand. Of course there are, you know, race is a factor. We can't say that it's not. Um, but you know, what what other reasons are there for people to to break with? Uh, dominant, whatever, neoliberal ideology and go towards like either being a left, uh, far left or far right. Um, so I'm kind of interested in this and and why people do the things that they do. Um, and so I'm looking at that, which is why I'm reading the ideology stuff. Um, I recommend it to anyone, Terry Eagleton, such a good book. I'll definitely have to uh, look that up. So I'll be teaching my class again in the fall. Uh, I, I'll have it's three two hour uh, three two hour meetings. Like I said, it is non credited, but I, I want to get your advice. If there's one thing that I should include in my lecture on conspiracy theories, what what would it be? I mean, hey, if it's two things, give me two things. But what do you think? If there's one thing, you're like, you know what, Christian, you you really need to have this. What what would you what would you say it is? Well, so let me ask you, your students. Um, so, what type of conspiracy theories do your are your students like? Do they usually talk about like well, well truthfully um thank thankfully yeah. i i have students that um none of them have really come up to me with any um mm -hmm. they are interested when i tell them i lecture on conspiracy theories but mm -hmm. the only ones i come across like nobody's talking to me about reptilians nobody's talking to me about ufos okay. i think i make it clear that i don't really want to hear any of that stuff mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um i mean I, I think the most common one that i would hear um, but not necessarily from my students, would either be, you know, like 9-11 was an inside okay. job or the mm -hmm. the King of Kings, which is JFK. You know, JFK was okay. killed by the uh, was killed by the powers that be. It wasn't, you know, uh, a chaotic. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just one random guy who was who was sick, who was, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, one of the big things with conspiracy theories is people don't realize the universe is chaotic. And for it, right. it's easier to assume that, that it it's more comforting to believe that there's bad people in control then there mm -hmm. is really nobody in control and it's just chaotic which i'm not going to say yeah. people aren't in control but there's this 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 fear that the universe is chaotic mm -hmm. you know and and people people find safety in well I, at least i know that the world is corrupt and they they take some uh, some peace in that but uh yeah i don't know what what, well, what go ahead <laughs> uh, i'm trying to think with the 911 stuff i think what really helped me to, to stop believing in the 9-11 conspiracy was if you learn about like Wahhabism, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a particular piece and I would have to do a little bit of research for you to find one. Mm -hmm. um, so I can definitely get back to you, but I would find something, some historical piece on Wahhabism that kind of breaks down the history of it, why it exists, like where it came from, what it teaches, mm -hmm. and how this impacted, you know, groups like Al-Qaeda and other groups in, in the Middle East. Um, and not only in the Middle East, but in the Muslim world now. Um, and sort of also... Um, Wahhabism came about, from Saudi Saudi Arabia, correct? Yeah. Right? It was the Saudi I elite realized we're going to be the greatest expression of the Islamic far right, I, something like that. I mean, I haven't really... Right. The, I, the last well, time was, I got a formal education on Wahhabism, I think, was like 2005. I was still an undergrad, so yeah, for, forgive so, my so, ignorance. <laughs> no, no, no. So it was um, actually... Uh, the Saudi Arabia was not yet like a uniform country. It wasn't like a, a nation state as we see it today. And so it was when um, the ruling family, the current ruling family, um, was trying to sort of unite all 
the tribes under uh, their their power. Yeah. And was it the House, the House of Saud, right? Yeah, right, right. And they did it by uh, partially by aligning with um, Ibn Wahab, who was like this nut job. He, he, his interpretation of Islam was like all the way to the right, basically, mm. like really harsh interpretation. His own tribe kicked him out because they were just like, no, you're crazy. And he, um, they actually made an alliance with him where he, he and his followers would be like the ruling uh, religious uh, elite and would decide like basically how Islam is practiced in mm. Saudi Arabia. Um, and in return, they would back, he would, him and his followers would back um, the, the ruling family, the current ruling family, the Saud. So yeah. it's kind of like, that history that's a very like uh quick little overview of the history it's much more intricate than that but um i think learning about that and learning about how um you know wahhabism has really been spread throughout the muslim world with the saudis you know uh opening masjids all you know funding masjids all over um throughout asia throughout the middle east north africa other parts of africa as well um and how this has really been like pushed as like the dominant form of Islam and uh, you know sort of what how that influenced for example the 9-11 hijackers right and like what their connection was to these groups to bin Laden what bin Laden's ideology was so it's quite a bit of stuff to read to be honest with you but I think that that's like a good place to start especially with the for the 9-11 stuff because yeah. you really begin to see how um, historically, we're kind of leading up to this, and and also learning about U.S. foreign policy, you know, because let's not pretend. Of course, yes. U.S. foreign policy has something to do with like why people are angry and yes, why do they hate us? The things that they do, right? You know, yeah. Um, and so I think that that's also important. But I can definitely get back to you with like a couple specific pieces. Sure. I just can't think of anything off the top. Of my I head. I can add them um, to the show notes. That's that's no problem. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I'll find stuff for you. Thank you. I mean, so look, hey, look, I don't want to take up any more time. So just one last question for you. Uh, do you have any contact information, social media information, anything like uh, if people want to follow you, if people have questions for you? Uh, um, would you want to share any of that? Are you are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? Uh, you know, sign, anything like that. Do you have a, do you have a blog? Well, I, I just have Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. I, I got off Instagram because I just got tired of always being on my phone. But I do have. Um, oh, Facebook it it, still, it, so. it 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 my it sucks me in just looking at yeah. pictures. And I I for years I was like I don't care about pictures. It has sucked me in, and it's it's like a problem no. now. <laughs> it is. That's why I got rid of it. I was like I can't do this. Like all I do all day is being on Instagram. But um, no, my my Facebook, um, which is just Kenzie Shanila. You guys can find me there. Um, and yeah. That's it. All right. Well, thank you, Tan. I appreciate it. And uh, mm -hmm. thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate your time. This is your chance. After this, there is no time. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. dictatorship, it'd be a heck of a lot easier, <laughs> just so long as I'm the dictator. <laughs>
Some people call you the elite. I call you my baby. Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein aids and protects terrorists, including members of Al Qaeda. No, we, we, we have no evidence that Saddam Hussein was involved with September the 11th.